Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. James chapter 1, verse 14. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, we reflect on how Joseph resisted temptation so that you can learn to resist testing you face. The series is called Living with Integrity, and the message is on temptation. One way that you can help others live a transformed life in Christ is by liking this podcast and giving a review. This way, others will discover this podcast. If you haven't done so already, subscribe so that you won't miss our weekly updates. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. We continue our survey of Joseph's life, which I've called Living with Integrity. Okay, who remembers the definition of integrity? Say it louder. Doing the right thing when nobody's watching. watching. That was a good one. I think that was Chris's last week. Here's another one that I gave you. Consistency between beliefs, what we articulate that we believe, consistency between beliefs and behavior. Consistency also, you can put it this way, between convictions and actions. Today's message is entitled temptation. And temptation means to test, examine, prove the character of someone. Theme verse, if you take out your outline, you'll see it is not taken from Genesis, although we're dealing with uh, Joseph's life from Genesis. But I've taken this theme verse from James chapter 1, and it says, temptation comes from our own desires. So in other words, we can't accuse God, and we can't blame others. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entices us and drag us us away. Now, how many of us experience temptations? All of us. Temptations of various kinds that entice us to sin, that draw us away from devotion to God, which damages our integrity, particularly our spiritual integrity. The background from last week, we are not dealing with chapter 38, which deals with Judah and Tamar. But in Genesis 37, we saw that Joseph's brothers intended to kill him because of their what? Jealousy, which turned into resentment and bitterness. And whose fault was it? All of theirs, yeah. It was the brothers. It was the fathers for setting up the scenario. It was Joseph's for his what? His arrogance. Instead, I don't, you know, I don't think they really wanted to kill him. They just sort of worked each other up. But instead, they decided to sell him to traitors who took him to Egypt. Now, we will learn from Joseph's experience in Egypt how to resist our temptation today in our settings. So we'll be in chapter 39 in this Bible available at Brookwood. It's page 35. Verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelites, some translations say Midianite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 
the captain of the guard was also the chief of executioners. He was responsible for punishing criminals. So you can file that away for later. The Lord was with Joseph. That phrase appears four times in this chapter. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master, where he served likely 11 years. Now this this verse says, the Lord was with Joseph. You think that's true? But wasn't he enslaved? Wasn't he experiencing a terrible experience? A terrible situation? See, the two aren't mutually exclusive. This terrible experience as a slave in Egypt matured Joseph personally, but also spiritually. And it forced him to seek support and direction from God, whose personal name is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. Remember, no vowels in Hebrew. We grow in hardship. I question whether we grow at all outside of hardship. Now, you don't have to agree with me, but think about that. Joseph was enslaved, and yet this passage says the Lord was with him. How often do we accuse God of abandoning us when our circumstances turn negative? Too often. You know, we... In my family, we have struggled with God this year. Um, Graham turned one yesterday. He is in a full body cast uh, after hip surgery and still in need of a, a transplant, a kidney transplant. And so we have dealt with God and asked for miraculous healing. We haven't seen it. We've seen improvement, and you know what we've seen? We've seen God's grace in so many ways, but we've learned to suffer and serve and love God at the same time. Have you learned that lesson? That to suffer doesn't mean God's rejection. In fact, God has supported and loved our family through all of you, through your prayers, through your kindness, uh, many of you through even gifts to our um, daughter and son-in-law. And so we, we, God grows us in difficulty and yet it's an expression of his concern and his love. Verse 3, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Well, Potiphar wasn't a follower of Yahweh. He more likely was a worshiper of idols. Egyptians had about 2,000 idols. And yet, he recognized that there was divine enablement happening in Joseph's life. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. 
He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. Now, what was Joseph's experience? What was work experience? Run, run household? No. What was it? Shepherd. But he's not, he's not a shepherd. He, he wasn't assigned to care, care sheep or animals. He wasn't even assigned to work in the fields, maybe briefly, but this doesn't even point that out. But with God's help, he served in Potiphar's home and he did so successfully. Verse 5, from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. Are you displeased with your job? Dislike your boss? Well, where I work, there are no believers. Right. That's the point. Do you believe that God is in charge of your placement and your performance and your promotion. See, it's interesting how we can talk about we belong to God out of one side of our mouth, but over here we examine the world we're living in as though God didn't even exist. And yet God is involved in every aspect of your life and may have chosen to put you in that difficult workplace. So that you, like Joseph, could prove the presence and the power of God in your midst. You know, I only practiced law a couple of years full-time and some part-time after that. And then I was worked in a church and then I was off to seminary. Well, I didn't practice law enough and the salaries in those days were so low I hadn't accumulated any money. And so now I've gotten married in Mississippi, and uh, my wife's an RN, and so she was working a hard job that started early in the morning, and she did dialysis work, and uh, it was a very demanding job. She was on her feet, and so anybody ever been in school while their spouse was working? Only me? Well... Sometimes your spouse can come in from work and kind of go, what'd you do all day? <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've been sweating over my books. and my, yeah. Well, that doesn't cut it sometimes. So I knew I needed to contribute to the household. The only training I had was in law, so, uh, but I'm not being licensed in Mississippi, only in Georgia. I, I went downtown, found a law firm that would hire me. And uh, as an intern and do research. But the interesting thing was that 
with God's blessing, I was better researching those months I worked for that lawyer in Mississippi than I ever was practicing full-time in Georgia. You know, this was, you know, we used these slates and chisels in those days. It actually was before there was much uh, online research. So we pulled books. And so you'd go to the law library and you'd have a stack of books and you'd be searching for this particular case. And while I was clerking for this guy in Mississippi, I would find these wonderful cases. And so this lawyer was so impressed with my abilities that he kept paying me. And I had something to put into the household support. But I was much better and much more able and much faster than I'd ever been working full time. And God helps us that way. God helps us succeed in places he wants us to succeed. And he blesses though we, we work for, for our sake. It says he did it for Joseph. Well, he does it for all of you. But you have to be aware and watch. Even though Joseph was serving as a slave, what do you think his attitude was? You think it was difficult? You think he was sullen, pouting, dragging his feet? You think he did that? But how many do we? How many of us do? I don't like my boss. I don't like my job. I don't have any Christians around me. And so we don't give, give anybody any awareness of God because of the attitude that we have. In fact, the one that pouts the most is always the first one laid off. You know that, don't you? But Joseph served diligently, faithfully to the best of his ability even though he was in an unbelieving, idol-worshiping home. Paul instructed us at Colossians 3. We don't have the verse up. I'll just summarize it. But it tells us that we should serve our employers, literally masters. He's talking about to slaves in Colossians 3. But we should serve faithfully because of our faith. Not because of the faith of our bosses. Because of our faith. And that we should work willingly as though working for whom? Well, do you realize that? That boss that you've been grumbling about this week? Do you realize he's not the boss? That the Lord is your boss and the Lord will reward? Now, I'm not saying that all went smoothly for Joseph. And it doesn't for us either. Verse 6. The latter part of 6. Let's drop down a few verses. Joseph was very handsome and well built. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. It's interesting how it points out how good looking it was. So see, some of you that are always complaining that you're not that good looking realize that's a protection. Thank you, Lord, for not making me handsome and good-looking. Handsome and well-built. But Joseph was in a vulnerable position. A young man, single, 
lonely, far from home, living in an extremely immoral pagan land, very promiscuous land, propositioned by a woman who had power over him. All of us experience temptation. But it arrives in different forms, depending on where we individually are most susceptible, where we are weakest. Now, you better know where your weakness is, because I will promise you Satan knows. And this temptation often arrives catches us by surprise, it often arrives after we've experienced great success. Success in business, success in relationships, even spiritual mountaintop experiences. We get a little proud. We let down our guard. We relax a little too much. And we're ready to fall in a trap. 1 John 2.16, again, you can jot this down, but I'm not going to cite the the verse. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Describes three different types of temptation. And I think it's it's pretty um, comprehensive. A craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. Now, that's also also translated what? Yes. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And just about all temptation, I can't think of an exception, falls into one of those three. In fact, it's so comprehensive, so pervasive, that if you look at the temptation of Eve in Genesis chapter 3, you'll see that she was tempted in those same three ways. And Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 was also also, uh, tempted in the same three ways. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us this, offers us a warning. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Are you alert? Some of you may have your foot in that roaring lion's mouth right now. Resisting temptation, another way, is to remember the effect on others. Verse 8. But Joseph thought about it a while and decided it may not be best. Is that what y'all see? But Joseph, what's it say? Refused immediately and directly. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Joseph rejected this woman's advances. 
because he remembered that her husband had trusted him, had rewarded him, had elevated him with a place of great responsibility, and he would not betray Potiphar's trust. When you are tempted to do something wrong, remember who you will hurt with your unfaithfulness. A spouse that trusts you. Children who depend on you. Business partners who rely on you. See, sin is always... You know what I'm going to say? Self-centered. It's narcissistic. Because sin cares only about one person. Who? Self. And it disregards the very people depending on you. Adultery occurs when you're consumed with yourself and your desires. And you become unconcerned about people who love, respect, trust, and depend on you. You don't want you to realize this too. An immoral parent damages a child's sense of self-worth. Because a child experiences the parental's, the parent's adultery as abandonment. And it damages the self-worth, the sense of value of that child. So you are setting your child up for making bad decisions of his own or hers own. Hers. Becoming needful of affection later in very, very unwise, unhealthy ways. So here's a question. Are you motivated primarily by your own needs or the needs of others? Because if you're mostly motivated by your selfish needs, you are a dangerous, unreliable person. To resist temptation, reflect on God's expectations. Verse 9. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Did Joseph have a big old Old Testament? Did he? May not have had any text at all. He heard of God. His father knew God. Although his father didn't show it in, many, in a lot of ways, did he? So how did Joseph know God? If he probably didn't have a printed Old Testament Bible in Hebrew. He was so early, realized when Joseph lived. Even the Old Testament, not hardly any of it was, had been written yet. So how did he know God? Come on, Chris, I'm waiting on you. How did he know God? Being open, but, what, but give me what that means. Who said it over here? Who said it? Yes, he knew him 
personally. The same way any of us know him. Well, he didn't have a Bible. No, he had God. See, we have Bibles, and the Bibles teach us and guide us. But our relationship with God isn't through the Bible. It's direct. And then the Bible is a love letter from this one we have a relationship with. So we read it and it becomes inspired and we can see God and, and, and it fleshes him out and it addresses situations in our life. But don't think that your Christianity is solely because you read the book. It's because you know him personally. That's what being born again is. The Spirit of God has entered you, transformed you, and you have an intimate connection with him. That's how Joseph could have a very real relationship with God, though he didn't possess a Hebrew scripture, maybe not any. Joseph knew God personally. And he understood that God had blessed him in Potiphar's home. Joseph knew that any sin he committed would be an, an offense against God. The, the very God who cared for him. See, our sin may hurt another person. It may hurt a number of other persons. But ultimately, all of our sin is against God. Because it's God who sets the universal moral standards of what is right and what is wrong. And if we say that we know and we love God, and yet we're willing to defy, to disobey Him, what does that say about our relationship with Him? What does it say? Would you say? It might not be there at all. And if it is there, it's what? What are you saying, Mike? It's weak. It's shallow. It's self-centered. Because we cannot deliberately offend and dishonor someone we truly love. Now, in our culture, some people say God endorses their sin. Well, here's what it sounds like. I know that God wants me to be happy. Or I've even heard this. God led me to this person who is my soulmate. Though she's married. Or I am. That person's not your soulmate. That person's just has the excitement of sin. So, so you're going to link up with someone who's as unfaithful and unreliable as you are. How's that later when you're trying to pay the bills? See how foolish it is? But we can get ourselves so, so wound up in our, ourselves. 
and we stop looking at God. Or we attribute to God something that doesn't describe him at all. Our culture, everybody knows God. I'm amazed. You know, I still read some sports and stuff, and so I read some recruiting, and I'm amazed at how many of these young folks are talking about God and God this and God that. But then the next picture they post has nothing to do with God. And the next thing they say, I mean, God's not that malleable. We don't get to decide what God thinks is right and wrong. We don't get to, to form him into a reflection of us. If we fashion God to look like us and hold our opinions, the one one worship is not God. It's us. God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't change. And God doesn't violate his own word. God doesn't disregard our own moral standards. So here's the question. Do you know God? Do, do you know his standards? Does your love for him motivate you to obey? To resist temptation also Refuse to surrender. Verse 10. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. But he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. What does that mean? He avoided her. The best way to refuse temptation is to avoid situations that you have difficulty resisting. If there's a certain person that's enticing you, that's encouraging you to sin, what do you do? Avoid that person. What is your weakness? If lust is your weakness, change what you watch on TV and what you look at online. If gambling is your weakness, don't go on cruises. And for those of you who say, well, I think I'm going to take this business meeting in, in Las Vegas. It'll have no effect on me. Oh, but it's a family place now. Yeah, that's why the byline is what happens there stays there. But see, we fool ourselves. Oh, no, this will have no effect on me. And either we're just fooling ourselves or we really want to see what they have going on out there. Don't show how spiritually strong you are. Run. Run. A standard to determine whether you should remove yourself from an environment or an experience is ask yourself, would I do this if Jesus was with me? That applies to everything, doesn't it? Would I do this if Jesus was with me? Simple one. Because he is with you. But see, sometimes our pride or Satan causes us to think we're strong enough to handle the testing. And we might even kind of like warming our hands by the fire till our clothes catch on fire. Y'all remember those that have been here, I told you about, you know, I'd go to these, these weenie roasts, you know. It's amazing. I'm surprised any of us are alive because we took coat hangers. You know, today they would be 
you mothers would never let a child put a hot dog on a, well, you wouldn't let them have a hot dog first. <laughs> hot dogs are perfect. They, the perfect food, round on both ends. But you, um, we get a coat hanger. But, you know, for me, I was one that I had to have my hot dog in the hottest place possible. I've told you all this story. So you itch up closer and closer and closer and closer, getting that hot dog all the way where it's white. But invariably, what would happen to me would be zzz, <laughs> And it'd singe the front of my hair, and it'd singe my eyebrows. It'd have these knots, you know, all on the... But some of us relate to sin that way. I'm just going to get a little closer, because I kind of like it. The, the, the excitement of it until you catch fire. Verse 11. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. You know, Joseph tried to refuse this woman. He told her why it was wrong. He attempted to, to avoid her, but she got him anyway. So what did he do? He ran. You know, when you're tempted, and some of you may be in this place right now, don't look for an easy way out. Don't look for a way that won't embarrass you or create any, you know, you don't want any, any uh, stress, you don't want anything, anybody to know. You, you're just going to pray and ask God to deliver you. Don't ask God to deliver you. Deliver yourself. Run. Run. You know, in the office, some coworker. I know HR supposedly has nailed down all this. There's no harassment happening anywhere, right? Y'all work in corporations, and harassment doesn't happen at all. Of course it does. And depending on who it is, sometimes it, it doesn't affect some people at all. If some coworker starts saying all kinds of suggestive things to you or touching you in appropriate ways, don't try to, to be, be calm and, and, you know, not create any chaos. Say, help! Get this woman away from me! This man's touching me. Yell it, I'll guarantee you. He'll leave you alone. She'll run away. But everybody else will leave you alone too. But, but we want to be so composed and, and we end up getting caught in a trap. That's not what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 2 Timothy 2, 22 and the example of Joseph tell you to run. Run. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. People have different kinds of temptation, but we all have them. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Do y'all believe that? So in other words, if you fell into temptation, if you fell for it, whose fault is it? It's yours. It's not God's. It's yours. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, the way out may be drastic. 
It might be changing jobs. It might be screaming out. It might be something that does embarrass you and and you don't want any drama. It may take great drama to get out of where you are. But what are you more concerned about? Avoiding temptation or keeping your composure and your reputation? Resisting temptation also by reflecting on consequences. Verse 13. When she saw that, that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. So how many were around when she made her move? None. 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 Look, she said, so be careful. Be careful who you eat with. Be careful who you go to lunch with. You know what? Don't be embarrassed to say, I can't go to lunch with you by ourselves. Be wise. None of the servants were in the house. Look, she said, my husband has brought... Now, look at this. Look at this one closely. My husband has brought this Hebrew slave... Here to make fools of whom? Us. You see what she's doing? She's injecting conflict in with these witnesses. She's blaming her husband. She's arousing racism and envy. See, these other servants, they may have been there much longer than Joseph. They may have been much older than him. So Joseph is elevated. So she's got an idea that there's already some envy and some resentment with some of them. You see that? Because he says, look what my husband is doing to make fools of us. You know, this is happening in our culture. See, all of us should speak against any injustice and against racism. But what I see that's terribly destructive is the division that people are creating in our culture. Creating division between... Now, again, where racism exists, it should be confronted and dealt with. I'm not saying ever avoid this, but some people stir up racism to divide people and cause conflict. Or they stir up divisions, whether it be viruses, vaccines, any of these issues, political parties. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Yes, confront what's wrong, but don't fall for this. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak with me. See, she's establishing her story with these witnesses because she could be severely punished or even divorced from her husband. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave, again, look what she's injecting. You've brought into our house. She's she's putting him on the defensive. She's blaming him. Tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. She's she's expressing, again, disdain for his his, uh, Jewishness. But when I screamed, he ran outside leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. But in the original, 
Hebrew, it's, it's not completely clear who he's furious with. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Potiphar could have executed Joseph. He had the power. He had the authority. Perhaps he also doubted his wife to some degree. But over all of this is the providence of God who is moving Joseph into place for his purpose, for his plan. So God's hand is on Joseph. But Joseph is living through painful experiences to get where God wants him. You know, if you need any other reason for resisting temptation, reflect on the disastrous outcome that could result from your sin. You won't get away from it because you're free to make choices, but you're not free to control the consequences. And you can't control how people view you. You might lose the love, the respect of family, of friends. You may lose your job and certainly will lose your self-respect as you offend God, as you damage your faith, as you bring shame on yourself. Remember this verse as we close, Hebrews 4. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable even more than any other person. Our care counselors will be here. They'll be in the care connection room. You know, if you're struggling in a temptation, if you're struggling with some addiction, they're here to help you. Because here's the thing. Even though we will confront the sin, we will love the sinner. And we will help you to flee from what may be tempting you, from, up, from the trap that may be set for you. Father, I pray that you will make us, keep us alert and aware. Help us, Lord, to avoid temptation, knowing not only that it will damage us and our families, but it will dishonor you, Lord, and it will destroy our testimony in our community and beyond this country and world. In Christ's name we pray. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Next week, we'll continue exploring the life of Joseph in our series, Living with Integrity. To prepare, read Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 23. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on the Living with Integrity series. If you like what you've been hearing, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, search through our message archives. Just visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. To get connected at Brookwood, email us connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Thanks for listening and have a great week.